All right, I'm going to pray. If you would, please, as little move it around as possible, just to help me out as I'm going to be preaching this. And um, agree with me in prayer as we lift this up. Just let me know when everything's ready. Okay, are we good to go? All right, so Father, we come before you tonight in Jesus' name and through his blood. We're agreeing together. Uh, Father, we lift up this word. I'm asking you to anoint me and speak through me. And that everything will be said that needs to be said. Lord, I pray that by your precious Holy Spirit, every one of us right now, everyone that's going to be hearing this, that your Holy Spirit will help us to get, just get captivated, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and our minds, that our minds not be distracted, but we'll be able to focus. That your precious Holy Spirit touch our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit to really be able to see and hear what God is saying to us. And be able to really get everything out of this that's God's will to be done. So, Father, let your precious Holy Spirit just really lock us in and get everything out of it. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me your words of life. It will be as living seeds of truth that are sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. That's made ready by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit waters that seed. It will take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And, Lord, I pray that as you speak through me tonight... There'll be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, that there'll be a bright light of truth shining, dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. Bring truth, bring revelation knowledge. Lord, let your word be a hammer that breaks through every stronghold, a sword that penetrates and gets where it needs to go. And Lord, let there be a washing of the bride, but the water of the word. Lord, we commit this unto you. and We ask you that everything be accomplished in and through this time in the word that your will be done. That the winds of your spirit carry it everywhere it's supposed to go. That your mighty angels watch over it. Lord, we submit everything about this word unto you, numbers are to obedience, and we agree together. Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we bind up anything of the devil that would try to hinder this word in any way from being preached or getting where it's supposed to go, accomplishing what it's supposed to do, any resistance of the demonic realm. We bind it now in the name of Jesus, and we command to back off and go. And Lord, let your mighty angels just clear all that out. And Lord, that this will be powerful. And we stand on the promise that your word will not return void. It will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So Lord, we thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this sermon. That your will to be done. We bless you and we believe we receive it now. We expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for agreeing with me. I really felt that when we prayed. All right, so I'm going to be dealing with um, the holy place, but my heart in this is to talk about the glory of God, but you cannot really understand some things unless you understand the tabernacle. There's a principle in the Bible of the law of first reference, and so to really understand things, you have to go back and understand the beginning where God laid the foundation, and now we have the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What Israel had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. And so hopefully I'll be able to cover that throughout this time. But let me just open up. I'm going to talk about, I'm entitling this the tabernacle on the blood. Because I'm going to talk about the blood here in a moment. But let me just, for a brief moment, talk about the glory. What many of you are feeling in here tonight is the glory. A lot of people are not really familiar with the glory of the Lord. But the glory is not everywhere. I know the Bible says that God is everywhere, and in a sense, he is because he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. 
but God's manifest presence is not everywhere. And that's his glory. And God's not going to place his manifest presence somewhere where things are not right. Because it can bring judgment. But God's going to place his manifest presence in certain locations. And even sometimes when the glory will come somewhere, the glory will only come for a short time and leave. But I don't know about you, but I want the glory of God to tabernacle and remain. And so to understand that, we'll have to go through the tabernacle because, as, as you'll see as we go through all this, this is actually a replica that God gave Moses of what is in heaven. And the Bible says that very clearly. So up on that, what I talked about last week, up on that mount of God at the top, there's some kind of a tabernacle, a temple. And in that, that's where God dwells. His throne is there. And so that's, that's a replica here of the tabernacle of something that's in heaven. But let me talk about the glory. So a lot of people, we understand the anointing to some degree, but the anointing is God's empowerment. So I believe this begins in a Christian's life when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because the word baptism in Greek is literally to be immersed and to be saturated. That's both of those words in the Greek. It, it talks about like a picture of sponge that you immerse down under the water and it soaks up all the water, but you push it all the way under the water and then you bring it back up. That's where you know, the Greek word implies. So when Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, there is an immersion in the Spirit, but there's a saturation, a filling of the Spirit of God. But the most important aspect of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said you will receive power. That's the most important aspect of the baptism. And so that's where the supernatural life of Christianity begins, is at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a clothing of power. You'll begin to function in the gifts. You'll begin to have a prayer language where you're praying in tongues. But also you'll begin to operate in the gifts. And God will begin to use you if you let him. And you begin to really pray about it. He'll begin to use you to lay hands on the sick, see him healed, and to cast out demons. But that begins, all that seems to really begin in the, at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But how many knows that there's always more? And so even though you receive an initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's always more of an anointing that you can come into. And so I'm believing God, that, to be honest, today I'm functioning in more of an anointing than what I was 10 years ago. But I want that to increase in the days to come. But that's the anointing. It's an empowerment to be able to do what Jesus did in the earth. You know, the Bible calls Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus the Christ, but in the Old Testament, the name would be Mashiach, the Messiah, and it means the anointed one. So the emphasis is on the anointing. All right, but Jesus, the Bible says about Jesus in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. When you study the tabernacle, you see that the tabernacle has to do with the glory of God. And the tent part is called the Mishkan, and it comes from the root word Shekan, which means to dwell. And so that tent is referred to as the Mishkan or the Mishkan, where the glory dwells, where God's presence dwells. 
And that's where the word Shekinah comes from. The same root word Shekinah that means to dwell. God's abiding, dwelling presence. And so that's what the tabernacle is about. So the glory of God is two words. We had the word Shekinah. But that's more of what you see like a, sh a bright shining that's where you see in the, in the Bible it talked about that there would be a, a fire by night and a cloud by day. It hovered over that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark represents God's throne. But the glory hovered over that. And the glory we know from reading the word, the glory would lift up off the Holy of Holies and go over in front of Judah, the tribe of Judah, and then everybody would pack up and follow the glory. And where the glory stopped, they would build the tabernacle around that the glory would settle back but Israel it was all about the glory following the glory having the glory in their midst that was the most important thing and the glory being in the midst of Israel you see through the desert time their clothes didn't wear out they had supernatural health they had supernatural protection they had supernatural provision but all that came in the glory the other word for glory is chavod, B-K-A-V-O-D, chavod. And the glory that chavod is the weighty, thick presence. And I believe, as I share on this tonight, I believe that this is what God is wanting to do in River of Life. I believe he's wanting his glory to increase dramatically. The glory of God's already here in a thick way but I believe in the days to come it's going to thicken tremendously okay I really believe that I believe it's going to be a significant increase now we've had increments of the glory increase over the years and God has been very faithful in that area but I believe that he's wanting a significant increase in the days to come he spoke to me this and so I'm looking for that glory to increase I want to do this sermon series to kind of get us ready all right, so the glory is God's manifest presence. God wants the heavens to be really open over a place. Satan's kingdom sets up forces of darkness in the second heaven, and they try to brass things over where it's difficult to pray. It seems oppressed. It seems heavy. I mean, you guys have felt that at places. Even places of worship, you go there, it's hard to pray. It's hard to concentrate. The heavens are brass. That's what the devil wants. But if people will begin to really persistently pray and fast and they'll get together and they'll really pray and they'll intercede and they'll keep praying, what will happen is you'll see that layer by layer, it's like the heavens keep thinning out and thinning out and thinning out. And pretty soon the heavens are really open and it'll start feeling very heavenly in the place where you've been praying. But you've got to be militant about that. You can't be passive. You've got to keep praying and keep fasting, keep pressing into God until the heavens are really open. Now, God's opened the heavens here in River of Life, but I'm believing for him to increase that, but to open the heavens on a broad scale. We're going to see a lot of people affected by that. Now, I remember when I went to Toronto in 2014, that was the thing I noticed at Toronto. It was an open heaven. It felt like the Lord's throne was just right there, you know. All right. So the tabernacle where God's glory dwells in tabernacles among men, 
This is a revelation, I believe, not only of things that are heavenly, but things that we can learn from here today and glean from so that we can have the glory in our midst, okay? How many of you guys know that you can have the glory at home? But see, people have to really want that. You, you can't just say, okay, well, if it happens, it happens, because for those type of people, it probably won't. You have to really want God's glory in your life, and you have to pray about it, and you have to be willing to let him deal with what he needs to deal with. But he will bring his glory if you press into him. All right, so this is what the Lord taught me years ago, and it's why we have the type of church services that we have. If you look at this first picture, I'm just going to kind of walk you, walk you through the tabernacle. But you would come through that eastern gate, the entrance. That gate there, is everybody looking at it? All right, that gate there is the only way in. Jesus said there's only one way in. Anybody else that tries to come another way is a, is what, a robber? But there's only one way into the tabernacle, and that's that eastern gate. And that gate there has four colors, white, blue, red, and um, the purple. And the white speaks of the book of Luke, the righteous man, Jesus. The blue, the heavenly man in John. The red speaks of the suffering Savior in Mark. And the purple speaks of the king of kings, the king of Jews in Matthew. But that gate represents the gospel. You know, true biblical Christianity is very exclusive. You're either going to come through Jesus or you're not coming at all. You can't come another way. And that's what that gate speaks of. It's the pure gospel without compromise, represented in the four gospels, and it speaks of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to come to the Father, and it has to do with the presence, the glory, is through him. So number one is we have to be willing to take a stand for the gospel. You have to be willing to preach Jesus without compromise. And that's the gate. Once you come through that gate, now the first place you're going to see is the bronze altar. Bronze speaks of judgment. But this is the area at the bronze altar where people would bring their sacrifice, their offering. And you would bring something like a goat for a, a sin offering. And the priest would be out there in that courtyard area. They would kill that goat. And they had to shed its blood. Its blood was sprinkled on the altar. On the four sides. That goat would be cut into five pieces and placed on the altar. And it speaks there. That bronze altar speaks of the cross. So Jesus, as the Lamb of God... He came and the judgment came on him. That bronze, that judgment. And that fire that's burning speaks of the intense suffering Jesus went through. But he was the lamb. He was the one that was pierced in five places. A crown of thorns on his head. He was placed there um, as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so after coming through the gate, the gate represents the gospel. The pure gospel. Now you have to come to the cross. And what are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with the sacrifice that he made for you? Are you really going to humble yourself at the foot of the cross and repent and let the Lord forgive you, be born again, and let him change your life? And how many knows he's coming to change everything? Or are you going to look with scorn and walk away? 
But there's no compromise. This is the cross. This is where Jesus laid down his life. And here at the bronze altar, this is the time to think about what did Jesus pay for. Jesus paid for, number one, our sin to be forgiven. That's uh, transgressions. That's rebellion. That's iniquity. Iniquity being a deep inner drive towards sin. Jesus paid for all of that at the cross. Number one, the sin. But number two, his healing. He took stripes on his back and paid for our healing. And number three, he became a curse by hanging on a tree, Galatians 3.13, so he delivered us from the demonic realm and Satan's kingdom, his works. But also, um, he took a crown of thorns. Remember, it said about Adam that by the sweat of your brow, he took that blood shed on his brow. He took those thorns to break the power of poverty. There's a lot to it. There's more than what I want to get into because it would be a major rabbit trail. But Jesus paid for so much at the cross. And not just forgiveness of sins, but really embracing here the fullness of what Jesus paid for. And this was the first stop. So if you were going to come into the tabernacle, you come in through the gate, this is the first place you visit. And so that's why when we come together, I felt the Lord lead me to do this years ago. But when we come together, the very first thing that I do is take time that we remember the cross together. We take Holy Communion. We remember what Jesus paid for. And we're getting our lives washed and covered in the blood, which I'm going to talk more about the blood here in a moment, how important that is. But this is the bronze altar. Number two is the laver. This is where you begin to wash your hands and feet at the laver. The laver was a big bronze basin that had water in it. And the laver was made by the women's looking glasses, which were mirrors. And so the, the laver had that water in it. And people could look down in that water and they could see their reflection. And it represents the washing of the water of the word of God. That people take time to examine themselves in light of God's word. Okay? And that the word of God begin to cleanse your life. So this is the time when we take communion. The Bible says before you take the Lord's Supper that you take time to examine yourself. And that's what the priest had to do before they could even go into the tabernacle they had to wash their hands and feet so as we take time let me give you an example to look into the laver and you begin to examine yourself say father has there been any idols in my life has there been anything that's too important to me have i used your name in vain has there been places in my life where maybe i have been dishonest but you begin to really examine yourself in light of the word of god that you get washed and as you stand there looking at that lady you say father forgive me for these help me to see what i need to see i'm looking into the word here i'm examining myself begin to cleanse and wash me and the washing of the hands speaks of the, your daily uh the works of your hands the washing of the feet that the priest had to do speaks about your daily walk and how many knows that throughout the week if you're not careful you can really pick up some things but this is the time to really get washed by the water of the word of God to cleanse your life, repent, and deal with stuff. And that's what we do when we come together in River of Life. We take time at the very beginning, and it's very important. 
And people that miss that, I feel like that they miss out on something that's actually extremely important in River of Life. They miss out on a very significant aspect of what God's doing. But if you're here and you pray with us, it's a time to examine yourself where you make sure you forgive people, you repent of any sin, you really deal with it. Has there been adultery in my heart? Has there been hatred in my heart? Has there been sin in my life? Lord, that you cleanse and wash me. And then we take communion together and we remember Jesus paid not only for sin, but he paid for our healing, he paid for our deliverance. And at this place right here in the outer court, we begin to really deal with things so now we can begin to move into God's presence. And not only is this significant in a church service, I believe this is significant in our own personal prayer lives. Take some time to really deal with these things. I think a lot of people many times just want to come in and start praying and they haven't come through the blood and they haven't examined themselves and their prayer life and many church services are dead and dry but if they would take time to get washed at the laver and they would take time to get washed and covered fresh in the blood of Jesus and take communion together or at least pray and come under the blood together I believe they would find that it's much easier to come into the glory of the Lord. And once you deal with that and you're dealing with the outer court, now you can go past that first veil and move into the Mishkan, the tent. If you want to go down, I think it might be on the second page that y'all have, but you'll see the inside. Once you get past that first veil, you'll see on the left, you see the menorah. Then you see on the right, the table of showbread. And then you see directly in front, there would be the altar of incense. The menorah on the left. This speaks of the light and the glory of the Holy Spirit. This speaks of God's, his word like a shining of truth. And so what you have represented in the menorah is God's word illuminating, but also his revelation the Holy Spirit coming and bringing revelation. And there's oil in that lampstand. It speaks of the anointing. So really it has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit in his fullness. I don't have time to deal with that. But as we welcome the Holy Spirit to come and move in power. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Bring truth. Bring light. Bring revelation knowledge empower holy spirit glorify jesus christ see the holy spirit if we try to minister the word without the anointing the word of god is still going to be difficult to minister but when the holy spirit anoints the word the word will be light it will shine and that shining will dispel the darkness see inside the the mishkan there's no light except that menorah if that menorah was out it would be dark in there you wouldn't be able to see you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit and you need the Word of God. And this also speaks of Pentecost because that's when the Word of God and then later the Spirit of God was given. On the right, you see the table of showbread. There were 12 loaves, they were unleavened and there was a pitcher of wine and it speaks of the table of communion. So isn't it interesting that you see the cross in the outer court, then you see what represents the communion table in the holy place, 
And then here in a moment, I'm going to talk about it, but the blood had to be applied in the Holy of Holies. You see that there's a trail representing the blood that brings you into the glory. And so that table there speaks for us today of the communion table, but it's a covenant meal. It's, it's, in, in the Hebrew, it's called the, the lechem panim, the, the bread of God's face, like faces. It has to do with um, an intimacy with God, spending time with him. It's a covenant meal. You know, when you made a covenant in times past, in biblical times, there was a meal that sealed the covenant. And that's why Israel, when they appeared before God at Sinai, and God came down on that mountain and gave them the word of God, and there was a covenant, that's why some of the leaders went up the mountain, and the Bible says they saw God, and they ate and drank in his presence. It was that covenant meal that kind of sealed things. And how many knows that we have a covenant meal in Christ? The communion table. All right, and then the last stop in the holy place is the altar of incense. But you have to understand that when Jesus died, the veil ripped, and so now there's not the separation anymore. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews places the altar of incense next to the ark like it's in the Holy of Holies, but that's because in the New Testament time, there's no veil there. And every day the priest in the evening and also in the morning, the priest had to go in. He had to trim the wicks of the, of the menorah, make sure it's burning. He, had to, he could eat and drink of the table of showbread if he wanted to. And um, he would go and burn incense before the Lord. And so as we come together in River of Life, we have a time where we open up with prayer. We ask the Holy Spirit to come. We come, we examine ourselves, we take the communion together, communion table. And then what do we do? We enter into praise and worship, prayer and intercession. That's what the incense was made up of four parts of equal measure. And they would be ground up together like a powder and they would be burned on that altar. That priest would have to kill a lamb for himself every day. Every evening, every morning, he would kill a lamb. And after he did all of that, he would come in with a hot coal that was from the bronze altar, and he would take that hot coal and put it on the altar of incense in that bowl, and he would take incense and sprinkle it on that coal, and that incense would begin to burn, and it would fill the holy place with that fragrance. So the incense speaks of praise, worship, prayer, intercession. And I believe that hot coal speaks of a burning heart that this comes out of a heart that's on fire that's burning for god it's not dead dry religion that's why i've never been a big fan we may have to do it one day i don't know i've never been a big fan of having um words up for people to read i'm not saying it's wrong so don't say i said that because i didn't i just i'm not a big fan of it because you know what people do they read instead of worship Worship needs to be out of a burning heart going up to him. But that praise and worship, prayer and intercession, we have a time here where it's unrushed, it's unstructured. 
Many times we don't know for sure what song we're going to do next. We don't have it structured. There's been several times we practiced songs, didn't do any of them, and we ended up doing a completely different list by the grace of God. But anyway, it was just the Lord leading us, but it's spirit-led. There's not a, a beginning or a cut-off time like bookends or anything. We just flow with the Lord. And there's times that it may go a long time. There's other times it can be quite short, but we just move with him. But the praise and worship, and then it moves into prayer and intercession. God said to make his house a house of prayer for all nations. And so prayer is important. Again, I think one of the reasons why a lot of places don't have the glory is because there's a lack of prayer. And so if churches would again get back to what God has called us to be a house of prayer and make that something that's a priority, I believe the glory would come back to many places. Rebuild the altar. But there's no veil. It's ripped. And so now it's open. So as the incense is burned, the next stop would be the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark represents God's throne. And it's where the glory of God dwelled. And what happens as we begin to praise and worship, pray and intercede the glory of God begins to come in here. And once you're in the glory, then in the glory, everything begins to change. People that, that maybe would have been hardened, in the presence of God, they'll be softened. I remember one time there was a, a missionary that I knew that was in Mexico area and he had been there for many years had actually had an outbreak of the spirit of god and he said that during that revival that they had there was a lot of people getting saved and one of the things that god did for whatever reason was there's a there was a particular room on their campus they had where in that room the presence of god was extremely thick and there was really no explanation for it it's just something god did and um, he told me one time, he said that there was, you know, different groups of younger people that would be brought and they would serve and they would go out and do witnessing, etc., and kind of work with this missionary and his wife and from different churches. And he said that one time there was a particular young lady that was really hardened and um, she seemed to be kind of rebellious, had a bad attitude, and, and she just kind of stuck out. And they were walking along and, and she was really hardened. But as they were walking along, he said, hey, I want you to try something for me. He said, I want you to go in here in this room. And so he kind of opened the door and shoved her in the room where God's presence was. You know, and said, why don't you stand there for a little bit and just tell me what you think. And um, as he saw her, he told me this. He says he came back to her just a little while later. She was in there weeping, you see. So you get people, even the hardest people, in the presence of God, it'll melt that hardness. People that would have never repented when they get into the presence of God, will repent. It's a place where there's a lot of healings that will break out that would not have happened any other way. There's a lot of deliverances. And I'll tell you something, in that glory of God, there's an anointing that you begin to function under that fresh anointing in the glory, and it is an awesome thing. And you guys are quiet tonight. Y'all soaking this in? <laughs> All right. All right. 
But what I wanted to mainly focus on tonight, I'm just giving you some stuff to think about as you look through the tabernacle. But this is extremely important. There's some teaching that is very off that I guess it goes back to Roman Catholicism because it's taught in the dark ages and even to this day about replacement theology and there's a deliberate attempt to cut away the Hebrew roots and all that's been there for years but you have to understand something when Jesus came he said I came to fulfill the law he came to fulfill this and so this is a whole different mindset than a lot of churches have a lot of places are taught that you take the Old Testament and just kind of rip it out and throw it in the trash and it's totally irrelevant you just focus on the new there's so many different problems with that it would be a whole sermon to deal with those problems okay there's a lot but just for the sake of time you're not going to even fully understand the New Testament unless you understand the old how can you even understand the statement that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world if you don't understand the lambs that were sacrificed I mean there's so much that you're just not going to understand and so that's the first problem but the second problem is is that people don't understand the things I'm preaching on they if we could simply understand that the foundation was laid and now Jesus has fulfilled that in the new covenant it's like the whole Bible opens up Jesus did not come to take the revelation of the tabernacle and wad it up like a piece of trash and throw it away he came to fulfill it Jesus became the living walking tabernacle and the Bible says about us that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit but the temple was just the tabernacle that stayed in one place you gotta understand you know what the Bible says about me and you that we are living breathing tabernacles of the Spirit of God so we need to understand the tabernacle and understand the revelation that's there it's way too much for me to cover I cannot get into it I'm trying to stick just on topic but my goal in this is, is to talk about the glory and how we get into the glory as so I've kind of given you a pattern and what God dealt with me years ago was and I had to do this from the very beginning as we did a church plant all that I had to from the very beginning lay this out and stick to it and that was to have a tabernacle pattern into the glory see a lot of people want to come together there's no time to wash at the laver there's no time to come under the blood people just come in they do a few announcements they sing a few songs and then they hear a little sermonette and you see what I'm saying it's it's a pattern that has nothing to do with the tabernacle but I believe this I believe that if people would take time to come under the blood and to deal with any sin or anything they need to deal with collectively to get washed and covered in the blood of the lamb and then there would be this pattern where you know the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit come move in power I believe the communion table is powerful I don't think people have to do it but I think it's powerful but if we would come in and begin to praise and worship pray and intercede in spirit and in truth and it was led by the Spirit how much more of the glory of God would be among his people but people are neglecting the blood and there's not really heart worship and there's not the it's not a house of prayer and so 
it goes back to a whole different pattern that has nothing to do with the tabernacle. And so it's so important that we understand the Hebrew roots and how Christ has fulfilled it. And that's a whole other sermon. So let me just go to this. So Hebrews 9, 12. As I mentioned before, this is really what I wanted to get to. I wanted to get, talk about um, the tabernacle. I wanted to talk about the blood. But now I want to get to this right here. It's about how the blood and the glory go together. And also about the deep consecration by the blood of Jesus. Okay? So Hebrews 9 verse 12. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. Jesus, he entered the holy place once for all. What holy place? In heaven. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. How did he enter? Through the blood, his own blood. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So what you have to understand is that the blood of Jesus has to do with that sprinkling. Let me finish this and I'll come back to that. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So right there you're seeing a reference to the blood and the water. Where do we see that? The outer core. And what does it say? It says that we can draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, so you can draw near to God by the blood. This is the pattern. And just as I stated before, you start out in the outer court area where the animals were sacrificed. What's the message? Blood. You go into the holy place, the table of showbread. You see a reference there to the bread and the wine. It has to do with the communion table. And what does the communion table speak of? The blood. Then you go into the holy of holies. Now here's what's interesting. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies. And what he would have to do, first, he would have to burn that incense at the altar of incense. And he had a little censer, which would have been kind of like a, a cast iron skillet, but it was bronze, okay, like a little censer. He put a hot coal in there, and he would sprinkle that incense on it and listen, this is the first thing he had to do. He pulled the curtain back and he went into the Holy of Holies and set that censer down and he let that incense fill the Holy of Holies. A lot of people didn't know this. That incense had to fill that Holy of Holies. Then he would come back out and he would get the blood from the sacrifice and now he would come in through the veil. The incense was in there and he would take the blood that's in, the, in that bowl and he would dip his finger and he would sprinkle the blood seven times on the Ark of the Covenant and the blood would land on the Ark of the Covenant and on the front of it and probably on the ground in front of it and the blood was applied. And then he could pray for Israel to be forgiven. So how did the priests get into the Holy of Holies? Incense and blood. Is everybody following me? It was a trail of blood. The interesting thing was that everything about the tabernacle, every dimension, every size, every color, every metal, all of it had significance. 
But the bronze altar would have the grate that animals were sacrificed on was a cubit and a half high. The table of showbread, where that table was, that was a cubit and a half high. And the mercy seat was a cubit and a half high. What God was trying to say was, if you want to come into my glory, you're going to have to come through the blood. Spend some time to get washed and covered in the blood fresh. And it was interesting because every day the priest, every evening, every morning, the priest had to kill a lamb and shed blood. So it was the blood first, and then he would go into the holy place and burn incense and all of that. But he had to come through the blood. The blood gives us access into the glory. There's something that is so powerful and supernatural about the communion table that I don't have time to, I have a whole series on it. So if you're hearing this and you want to learn about communion, you can go to our website and look it up under the sermon download page called Communion Hebrew Roots. I did a whole thing. It's for free. But the communion table is awesome, awesome, powerful. And I believe as we come together at the beginning of the service and we have a time where we wash at the laver, we examine ourselves and we take communion together, you have to understand what represents Jesus' body and blood is going into our body and blood. There's something there, the two becoming one, like a union with Christ. But also, just like the priest went into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled the blood in the Holy of Holies, if God was looking down through the glory like a telescope, he was looking down through the glory into the Holy of Holies where that priest was sprinkling the blood, God would see that on the ark there were drops of blood. I believe that when we take time to come through the blood like we're doing, and we take communion together that God is up there he's looking down at river of life through an open heaven he's looking down here and I believe that he sees each one of us getting fresh washed in the blood covered in the blood and what's he seeing he's seeing little drops of blood all over river of life where the glory of God will come settle on that blood just like in the Holy of Holies that priest would go in he would sprinkle that blood the glory of God came in. You have to understand something. The priest couldn't see in there. It was totally dark. And he put that censer down. The incense filled that place. He came in by blood, with the blood. And, and he would sprinkle it toward the ark. But he really couldn't see real good until the glory of God came in. When that blood was sprinkled, the glory and the glory would light up the Holy of Holies. So I really wanted to talk about the blood tonight and put an emphasis on that because I believe it's much more significant than we probably even realize that we take time to come under the blood fresh and to not try to approach God in the flesh, but we approach him through the blood. I think a lot of times people not meaning to with a religious type spirit. Have you ever noticed what Paul said? He said, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. He was wrestling his flesh. And he was talking about that the, the law is, is in the flesh. And have you ever noticed that the harder that people try, sometimes the worse it gets? 
That's the law. People are striving in their flesh and it's working against them. If you'll find rest in the blood. See, a lot of times people come together and they think, you know, man, if, if I really dance my heart out and I really shout and go after God and I love freedom and praise. You know, people really get free and dance and shout and all that here, praise God, and let that continue. But I think a lot of times people, people are trying so hard to get into his presence. They're striving. And what they don't realize is, is that it's a religious spirit and that they're, it's actually working against them. Because in that striving in their own flesh, if they were able to get into God's presence, then they could get lifted up with pride because they could think, look what I did. No, it's not going to be by striving. It's going to be by resting in the blood. You see, the blood is what gives us access. And that's why I always take time. I take communion every day. And I always take time just to come under the blood. And you know what I found? That there's something about the blood of Jesus. Number one, we need to come under that blood fresh every day. You know, the, the priest would kill a lamb every evening and every morning. I think that that's the pattern. That's my opinion. But I believe that every evening and every morning, we need to pray and come under the blood fresh. Before you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning, you need to get washed and covered in the blood. And I'm going to tell you that the blood has such power that the demonic sees the blood. You know, when the children of Israel put the blood on the doorpost, there was a marked difference in their house from somebody else's. And I'll tell you something else. If there was a rebellious Israelite that didn't put blood, they would have had death in their home. It was only the blood. God made no real distinction that night about who was going to die except by the blood. So even among the Israelites... People would have died except by the blood. So I believe that there's a blood being applied, the blood of Jesus, that if we'll take time to cover our lives and bring our families under the blood, that there is such protection. The book of Job shows that Satan went before God and said, does Job fear God for nothing? And then he referenced that there was a hedge of protection around Job and all that he had. And I'll tell you why that hedge was there. Because Job regularly killed an animal and shed blood for his family. He brought his family under the blood. And I believe there's one lamb per household. It's my opinion that when we take communion together, that even though your, your children and your grandchildren are not here, that there's still something that is, by faith, you're bringing your whole household under the blood. Now, they're still going to have to get saved on their, you know, on their own. I'm not saying that's going to get them to heaven. But I believe that it helps protect them. You know, there was a lady, I tell this story a lot, but there was a lady that her son got real rebellious, got estranged from her, got into the occult. He got in witchcraft. He got into drugs sexually immoral he got far from god and he was totally estranged from her and she would pray for him and pray for him and the lord spoke to her one day how many knows when you hear the lord speak to you and the lord spoke to her one day and said one lamb per household and she knew what he was referring to the passover lamb and she realized that there was one lamb but it affected the whole household and so by faith she took communion and she said, Lord, I'm doing this on behalf of my wayward son that I'm bringing my household under the blood tonight. And when she took communion, she said she felt something that God was really moving. 
And then, you know what? It was just the next day or the day after that. I don't remember, but it was just another couple days that she got a call from her son who she hadn't talked to in a very long time. And he was crying and he said he wanted to come back and talk to her and wanted to get things right with God. When she brought her family under the blood, something broke in the spirit realm. And I believe that the blood, that there's something in the way of great deliverance. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb out of the hand of every enemy. When Jesus hung on the cross, how many of you guys remember the Passover meal we do every year? As we go through it, we remember what Jesus paid for. We remember the blood that, that remember we put the drops on the napkin, the blood that shed from Jesus' body and dripped off the cross on the ground. He paid for deliverance. The third cup, the cup of the communion table, he paid for healing. Now let me close out with these last couple things. Exodus 29 verse 4. There's three ways that God really consecrates his people. These are three things that God has given us that we can apply to our lives. Now it's, the pattern is in Exodus 29, but we see it uh, played out in the New Testament as well. It says here then, bring Aaron, God's talking to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Next week I'll deal more with the water, but there's power. There is so much power in water immersion. And it really grieves me because I believe a lot of places do not really understand the significance and the power of water immersion. At best, they feel it's just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's just symbolic, and that's it. None of that's biblical. And it's a, there's a lot more to it than just symbolism. All right, verse 5. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head. Attach the sacred emblem to the turban. So in other words, he had to put on the priestly garments, which I'll explain those in another sermon. Verse 7, take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. The anointing. Let me tell you, Jesus is called the anointed one. In Exodus chapter 40, God spoke to Moses and told him, once you set up the tabernacle on Nisan 1, he said, I want you to go through starting the Holy of Holies and work your way out, but I want you to anoint everything. And so Moses did. He started anointed everything. Once Moses anointed everything in the tabernacle, and he got out in the outer court area, and it was all anointed, the Bible says the glory of God came and saturated that tabernacle. So in the New Testament time, who is the tabernacle of the Spirit of God? We are. I believe when we go through, my wife and I many times will anoint people and pray over them. You have to understand, there is so much significance to this. It is so powerful. When you anoint somebody, you're setting them apart unto God as a tabernacle for God's glory to come and saturate them. And I believe that's why in the book of James, chapter 5, it says if there's any sick among you, let him call on the elders and they anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith will bring healing. And if they've committed any sin, they'll be forgiven. But see, as people come up and the elders anoint them, there's such power in that that God will release healing. 
And I believe deliverance too. But it's a way of consecrating your tabernacle. See, it was interesting. Think about this for a moment. Moses sets up a tabernacle and it had these wooden beams that were overlaid with gold. And, but these wooden beams and it's wrapped with skins. And it was symbolic because now you and I we have a skeletal system. We're wrapped in skin, but the glory of God, the Spirit of God lives in us. And we are the walking, living tabernacle of the Spirit. And whenever you anoint somebody with oil, you're setting them apart, and God's glory will begin to saturate them and bring healing and deliverance. And then he said, bring his sons and dress them in their tunics and fasten the caps and all that he was supposed to do. And then he said, then you shall take some of the blood that's on the altar and some of the oil and sprinkle it on them and on their garments. So there you see the sprinkling of the blood. So there were three things that consecrated the priest. And I don't have time to get into this, but in Peter, it's written very clearly that we now, all of us, are the priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. The pattern is there that now God uses the blood of Jesus that can be through the communion table, but nonetheless, the blood being applied, he also uses the waters of immersion and he uses the anointing with oil to really deeply consecrate his people unto him. And the Bible says, Paul was writing, and I believe it was, um, it was Thessalonians, but I may be wrong about the reference, but he said, may the God of peace sanctify you through and through your spirit soul and body to be kept pure and blameless till coming of the lord and that's what we're going to do here in a couple of weeks as we get done with our church-wide fast is we're going to have a time collectively that we come together we're going to take the communion table in a special way and we're going to ask the lord that the blood be applied to our spirit soul and body and deeply consecrate us and purge out anything unclean we're going to have a time where my wife and I will go through and anoint you with oil. But we're going to believe God to set you apart as his living tabernacle and saturate you with his glory. And then we'll have a time afterward for those that want to participate where we're going to have water immersion. And I'll talk about that next week. But let me just say this right now. That as the children of Israel left Egypt in 1 Corinthians 10, says they were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses. That water separated them from Egypt and destroyed their enemies that were chasing them. Water immersion is so powerful that it will help to separate you from your past. It will help destroy your enemies that are trying to chase you down and it will seal you off. And I have, I've seen this with my own eyes and we've experienced this. We've water immersed people. We've seen people get deeply consecrated unto God but also we've seen healings and we've seen people delivered of things when they've been immersed and brought back up because it breaks the power of the devil and seals them off. Think about it. The Red Sea was a body of water that separated the Israelites now from the Egyptians. It brought some kind of a barrier. When people are water immersed, it cleanses and separates you from things that are not of God and helps to seal you off from it. Trust me, it's a powerful thing. And I believe that God is bringing this revelation back to the body of Christ because when Jesus comes, the Bible says he's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. He's coming for wise virgins with extra oil. 
And right now, I believe what God is doing is he's separating the tares from the wheat. He's getting his pure bride now separated from the harlot church, and he's wanting to purify us. And I'm sharing with you tonight ways that he will use biblically to help purify you. But I'll give you two more. And this is, you know, how many knows that we do our part and then God does his part? All right. The blood, the washing of the water, the anointing with oil, that's us doing our part. But you know what God said to Moses? He said, if you anoint that tabernacle, he said, then I will put my glory in the tabernacle and I will sanctify it with my presence. That's God doing his part. Moses anointed it. But God released his glory and like his purifying fire of his Holy Spirit to settle into that tabernacle and he purged it with his presence. The Bible says about Jesus, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That glory fire purifies us. So as we do our part, God will do his part and with his glory and his fire of his manifest presence, he will sanctify us throughout our spirit, soul, and body. And let me give you the other one. How many of you guys have read in the book of Zechariah where the high priest, who happened to be named Joshua, the high priest had filthy garments and Satan was trying to accuse him. But the Bible says that the angel of the Lord stood by Joshua the high priest and God told him, take off all those old filthy garments and put on new ones. And the angel took off all the dirty, filthy junk off that high priest and put on something clean God will send also his mighty angels to help break through and clean house drive away things that need to be driven away and help clean out things that need to be cleaned out all right so next week I'm, I've got a few more things I want to share but next week we'll talk about the washing of immersion and then the following week, I'm going to talk about the anointing with oil. And I'm going to go into a little bit more depth about it. But this tonight is the foundational sermon, the groundwork for the next couple months. I believe God is wanting to increase his glory. And I even tonight as we were worshiping, it felt like there's new dimensions of his glory that's beginning to move into this ministry. And it feels more... The heavens more open it feels more heavenly more free but let me close out with saying this if you want to write these things down it'd be good to pray into this during the fast but I felt there's about three things that God's wanting to do during this fast one of them you guys are already familiar with so it had to do with going before the courtroom. I've already, we talked about that. But I believe God is wanting to really break through and deal with some things in the courtroom and finish that. But there's two things I really want to say. During this fast, pray about any tendencies towards certain sins. Subtle tendencies within us. A lot of these things travel down family bloodlines. You know it. I know it. You've seen it. But where are the subtle tendencies in you? 
Remember when John Davis was with us? He said, what does the devil have in you? Remember that sermon? Those are the things that the devil exploits in people. Pray and fast. God, show me. And then as he shows you, ask him to take it out of you. Are there subtle tendencies to maybe be easily offended? To have unforgiveness and bitterness? Are there subtle tendencies toward maybe pridefulness? Or maybe to be rebellious toward authority? Subtle tendencies maybe toward lust? Or maybe even toward substances like alcohol that you still feel something like a pull in that direction. But little, that, you know, it's not that it may be even, it's not necessarily even dominating your life, but you just know that there's still something there. Pray and fast that God will pull that out of you. And I'm going to believe with you that every bit of that junk, God's going to reach in there and begin to clean all that pollution out. And on the other side of this fast, those things that used to hold you back aren't even going to affect you. And then the next thing I really feel God's wanting to do, and again, this is kind of a, a sermon in and of itself, and I, I can't get into that, but many people have been through things in life that were like a trauma. It was something that really affected you. It, it, you know, maybe in your childhood, it could have been something like a molestation or, or a rape or an abuse or something just very traumatic you went through. Some people spent time in... in combat in the military it was a, it was a trauma um they had ptsd other areas they been through things they broken homes they were betrayed by a spouse whatever but it was really deep profound wounds and here's the interesting thing about that these things can also be generational where believe it or not and trust me it's there maybe your your parents grandparents etc but there was a real deep trauma a real wound that happened and it was serious and that wound seemed to go down the family and you can see that in even the children and grandchildren there's a wound there there's something there And these type of things, there can be like a broken spirit. There can be woundings of the soul area. And even generationally, you see um, where people maybe, I'll give you an example. Let's say that maybe somebody's dad or granddad was in the military. They were traumatized. They, they saw people die. They themselves maybe were just in total fear. They come back and they have PTSD. Their children and grandchildren may have tendencies toward panic attacks. Nightmares. Just things that seem to kind of be in their life and they don't know why it's there. These wounds, this emotional trauma and psychological damage, broken homes, it can seem to be like some kind of a festering wound that tries to go down family lines and even affect people's health. So pray about that that any generational wounds or trauma and also wounds and trauma from your past that God will just begin to purge all that out and heal you that those things will be cleared out and there'll be healing come 
Now I'm going to believe with you for that. And I would encourage you also to make a personal list. I mentioned this earlier in the service, but make a personal list of things that you really need God to do. And I'm going to agree with you for your personal miracles to break open. I mean, you guys are believing for things, whether it may be a healing or a deliverance of something or financial provision. You're believing for lost loved ones. There's different things you believe in for. Make a list. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast with you. And my wife and I are going to believe God to give you also personal miracles in your life. And we're believing for great breakthroughs for the church as well. So Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the awesome power of the blood of Jesus to wash over our lives every day and protect us and give us access into the glory of God, the manifest presence, the holy of holies. Thank you, Lord, for this sermon. We ask you to seal this in every heart and let everything be accomplished in and through tonight, Lord, that's your will to be done. We're believing you for an incredible, powerful move of God like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.